1: Welcome to another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This one from our Legends series is titled John DeLorean's Legacy. Nothing says 80s like the DeLorean, that incredibly different car with the gull wing doors and the brushed steel exterior. It was John DeLorean's dream child that made the big show and then went bust when he let his dreams get ahead of his common sense. His story is covered here today, as well as his incredible car, the DeLorean, which will be forever memorialized in the movie Back to the Future, which celebrates its 30th anniversary this year. There's no doubt about it. The Spielberg-produced movie trilogy, Back to the Future, written and directed by Robert Zemeckis, screenplay by Robert Gale, has been an international legend and success since its initial launch, when it became the highest-grossing movie of 1985. It's a fantastic story that follows the adventures of high school student Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, and an eccentric scientist named Doc, played by Christopher Lloyd. ...as they use a DeLorean time machine to travel to different periods in the history of their town, Hill Valley, California. The three movies spawned a motion simulation ride at Universal Studios... ...where they will be celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Back to the Future this year. If you happen to be listening in 2015... Or if you are in another year and you figured out the time-space continuum and can return to 2015, all you would need is a DeLorean motor car and a flux capacitor, both of which are available if you have about $57,000. We'll get back to that in just a while. In preparation for this show, which was inspired by my son-in-law, I did read that Universal Studios is offering a special night tour of the Back to the Future backlot as part of their 30th show anniversary celebration. I don't know if they've caught on to the fact that McFly is supposed to return this year, which is something that turned up in my research, big thanks to Snopes.com. Apparently, there was a Facebook hoax going on a few years ago that showed Doc's chronometer reading a return date of 2012. Here is Snopes.com's explanation. Every few months since mid-2012, hoaxes have circulated which present doctored images taken from the 1989 film, Back to the Future Part 2, to make it appear as if the current date matches the future date visited by Marty McFly in that movie via his time-traveling DeLorean automobile. All of these japes are easy to identify as hoaxes by simply remembering the number 30. The original Back to the Future Part 1 film was set and released in 1985, and in that film, Marty McFly traveled 30 years back in time to 1955. In the sequel back to the future part 2 marty traveled 30 years forward in time from 1985 to 2015 the latter is therefore the year marty will return the date 21 october 2015 to be precise so there's every possibility that universal has figured this out it might be an interesting evening at universal on october 21st however knowing how these theme parks work it will probably happen every evening all year At least you know now when to look for Marty and Doc. Now, will it be Universal Hollywood, Florida, or Japan? Best if you attend all three, if you're a true fan. So I'm working on the premise here that either you haven't seen the movie Back to the Future, or that if you have, you might appreciate having us jog your memory just a little, because after hearing this, you're going to want to see it again anyway. It's time to get you caught up with who Marty McFly is, give you a brief background on the movie plot, at least for the first show of the trilogy, and then tell the story of the DeLorean, the real one, its inventor, as well as the movie Time Machine. We will even throw in some tech talk for you sci-fi and car nuts. This movie had something for everybody. Wikipedia offers us the following information. Martin Seamus McFly was born in Hill Valley, California, fictional town, in 1968. Little is known about his early life except for the fact that he set fire to the living room rug when he was eight years old. By 1985, Marty was playing electric guitar with his group The Pinheads and listening to rock groups like Huey Lewis and the News, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and Van Halen. He was also a talented skateboarder and proven to be an excellent shot with a gun, honed by endless playing shooting games such as Wild Gunman at his local 7-Eleven. Marty McFly, as this wild time travel story goes, was the youngest of three children, from George McFly and Lorraine Baines McFly. He had a brother, Dave McFly, and a sister, Linda. His secondary entourage consisted of girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, and his best friend, Emmett Brown, a scientist whom Marty and Jennifer called Doc. There is an impression that Marty is embarrassed by his family and doesn't spend much time at home, preferring to hang out with Doc Jennifer or the guys in his band. 17-year-old Marty McFly is accidentally sent back in time from 1985 to 1955 in Back to the Future 1 in a time machine built from a DeLorean by eccentric scientist Emmett Doc Brown when Marty is attacked by Libyans from whom Doc stole the plutonium that gives the flux capacitor the 1.21 gigawatts and yes, I'm saying it right according to the script, that it needs to time travel soon after his arrival in 1955 Marty's mother Lorraine Baines falls in love with him rather than with his father George McFly threatening to cause a paradox that would result in Marty's non-existence without plutonium to power the time machine Marty must find the 1955 Doc Brown to help him reunite his parents and return to 1985 with me so far Marty's dad is George McFly, a skinny, nerdy guy without much going for him. He is bullied mercilessly by the bigger Biff Tannen, George's bully and supervisor, which further complicates Marty's situation until Marty successfully causes his parents, George and Lorraine, to fall in love and simultaneously convinces George to finally stand up to Biff. Returning to the future via a lightning strike that starts the machine, Marty discovers a vastly improved situation for the McFly family, as Biff is now an auto-detailer rather than George's supervisor. Despite 1955 Doc's insistence on not knowing details of the future, a note Marty leaves in his pocket saves him from being killed by the terrorists. But in the film's final moments, Doc Brown appears in a modified version of the DeLorean and tells Marty and his girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, that they must travel to the future to fix a problem caused by Marty and Jennifer's kids. Here are a few things you can look for the next time you watch Back to the Future. In the Battle of the Bands scene, when Marty introduces the Pinheads, Huey Lewis, who provided the power of love for the film's soundtrack, plays the second judge from the left. And he's the one who eventually says, you're just too darn loud. Here's another. The same set used as the town of Hill Valley is also seen as Kingston Falls in Gremlins. The same set was also used in the movie Pleasantville. We referred to the movie Gremlins in our podcast episode titled, Gremlins, the World War II myth that became a movie. Here's another. Originally, the beginning of the film started out with Marty sitting in class at school. He is caught listening to his Walkman and sent to Strickland's office, causing him to be late for the Battle of the Band's audition. This was filmed with Eric Stoltz, who was cast first as Marty. When Stoltz was fired and Michael J. Fox was hired, the beginning was quickly rewritten to start in Doc Brown's place, with Marty being late for school. And another As Marty and Jennifer are walking across the car park after the auditions, the car in the end spot registration plate reads, For Mary, after the wife of one of the crew. And this movie is Billy Zane's first screen appearance. He plays one of Biff's sidekicks. He's easiest to see just after Biff calls Marty's dad an Irish bug. Marty stares, then Biff grabs him to say, You finished my homework yet? You can also be seen just after Marty runs over the convertible later, kneeling in the back of the car before it crashes into the dung van. Back to the Future has spawned video games, a television series, comic books, and books, not to mention soundtracks, and an upcoming stage musical, which is a planned part of the 30th anniversary celebration. Now, back to the DeLorean Time Machine. This section is very critical for those of you who have made it your quest to travel in time. We covered Nazi Germany's quest to build a time capsule briefly in the podcast titled The Kecksburg PA UFO, a story which you may find very interesting, as this was not fiction. First, let me get this off my chest. I have always wanted a car with gull-winged doors. You know, they open almost straight up, only requiring 11 inches of side clearance. As compared with 30 inches of most doors, After entering a target date, the operator accelerates the car to 88 miles per hour, which activates the flux capacitor. A mile-per-hour scanner shows how many miles the car has reached, and it stops counting when it reaches 88. As it accelerates, several rails around the body of the car glow blue. Surrounded by large sparks, the whole car vanishes in a flash of blue light seconds later, leaving a pair of fire trails where the vehicle's tires will pass. The DeLorean DMC-12 commonly referred to simply as the DeLorean, as it was the only model ever produced by the company, is an American sports car manufactured by John DeLorean's DeLorean Motor Company, or DMC, for the American market from 1981 to 1983. The car features gull wing doors and an innovative fiberglass chassis and underbody structure, along with a brushed stainless steel body. The car became widely known and iconic for its appearance as a modified time machine in the Back to the Future film trilogy. The DMC-12 was the only model produced by the company which would go into liquidation as the U.S. car market went to its largest slump since the 1930s. In 2007, about 6,500 DeLorean motor cars were believed to be in existence. British entrepreneur Stephen Wynn, based in Texas, started a separate company in 1995 using the DeLorean Motor Company name and shortly thereafter acquired the trademark on the stylized DMC logo as well as the remaining parts inventory of the original DeLorean Motor Company. The company, at its suburban humble Texas location, completes newly assembled cars from old stock. Original equipment manufacturer OEM, and reproduction parts on a made-to-order basis using existing vehicle identification number plates. As I understand it, the cost is about $57,000. John Zachary DeLorean was an American engineer and executive in the U.S. automobile industry, widely known for his work at General Motors and as founder of the DeLorean Motor Company. DeLorean designed a number of highly popular and iconic vehicles throughout his career, including the Pontiac GTO muscle car the Pontiac Firebird, the Pontiac Grand Prix, the Chevy Vega, and the DeLorean DMC-12. In 1956, DeLorean accepted a $16,000 salary offer with a bonus program, choosing to work at GM's Pontiac division as an assistant to chief engineer Pete Estes and general manager Simon Bunky Knudsen. DeLorean's best-known contribution to Pontiac was the Pontiac GTO, widely considered the first muscle car. From its launch in 1964, sales of the GTO and its popularity continued to grow dramatically in the following years. The Beach Boys' song, Little GTO, didn't hurt sales either. DeLorean received almost total credit for the success of the first muscle car, singularly responsible for conceptualizing, engineering, and the marketing, becoming the singular golden boy of Pontiac, and was rewarded with his 1965 promotion to head the entire Pontiac division. In response to the pony car market, dominated by the wildly successful Ford Mustang, designed by DeLorean's Ford counterpart, Lee Iacocca, DeLorean turned to the 14th floor for permission to offer a smaller version of the Pontiac Banshee show car for 1966. DeLorean's version was rejected because of GM's concern that his design would take away sales from the Corvette, their flagship performance vehicle, so instead they forced him to work with the existing Camaro design. He did, and the result was the Pontiac Firebird, introduced for the 1967 model year. It became even more popular throughout the 70s. Shortly after the Firebird's introduction, DeLorean turned his attention to the development of an all-new Grand Prix, the division's personal luxury car, based on the full-size Pontiac line since 1962. Sales were sagging by this time, but the new... For 1969 model, would have its own distinct body shell with drivetrain and chassis components from the intermediate-sized Pontiac A-Body, like the Tempest, the Le Mans, and the GTO. The result was the 1969 Pontiac Grand Prix, which looked a lot like a slightly scaled-down Cadillac Eldorado with its razor-sharp body lines and six-foot-long hood. Inside was a sporty and luxurious interior highlighted by a wrap-around cockpit-style instrument panel, bucket seats, and center console. The new model offered a sportier, high-performance, somewhat smaller and lower-priced alternative to the other personal luxury cars then on the market, such as the Ford Thunderbird, the Buick Riviera, the Lincoln Continental Mark III, and Oldsmobile Toronado. The 1969 Grand Prix production ended up at over 112,000 units, far higher than the 32,000 1968 Grand Prix built from the full-size Pontiac body. If you ever see one of these 1969 Grand Prix at a car show, check out the interior cockpit. It is awesome. During his time at Pontiac, DeLorean had begun to enjoy the freedom and celebrity that came with his position and spent a good deal of his time traveling to locations around the world to support promotional events. His frequent public appearances helped to solidify his image as a rebel corporate businessman with his trendy dress style and casual banner. While still the youngest division head in General Motors history, DeLorean broke away to start his own company, DeLorean Motor Company, in 1973. However, Production delays meant DMC's first car, and DeLorean's independent creative opus, the DMC-12, did not reach the consumer market until 1981, which was nearly a decade later, where a depressed buying market was compounded by unexpectedly lukewarm reviews from critics and the public. After a year, the DMC-12 had failed to recoup its $175 million in investment costs, unsold cars were accumulating, and the company faced dire financial straits. By this time, DeLorean commanded an annual salary of 200000 with yearly bonuses of up to 400000 He had made sizable investments in the San Diego Chargers and the New York Yankees sports teams, and was becoming ever more ubiquitous in popular culture. At a time when business executives were typically conservative, low-key individuals in three-piece suits, DeLorean wore long sideburns and unbuttoned shirts. He also horrified fellow GM executives by inviting Ford President Lee Iacocca to serve as best man at his second wedding. DeLorean continued his jet-setting lifestyle and was often seen hanging out in business and entertainment celebrity circles. He became friends with James T. Aubrey, president of metro golden Meyer Studios, and was introduced to celebrities such as financier Kirk Kerkorian, Chris Craft chairman Herb Siegel, entertainer Sammy Davis Jr., and The Tonight Show host Johnny Carson. In 1972, DeLorean was appointed to the position of vice president of car and truck production for the entire General Motors line, and his eventual rise to president seemed inevitable. However, the idea of him assuming that position was almost intolerable to GM executives, and on April 2, 73, he announced he was leaving the company. DeLorean had been sharply critical of the direction GM had taken by the start of the 70s, saying there's no forward response at GM to what the public wants today. He also objected to the idea of using rebates to sell cars on the grounds that a car should make people's eyes light up when they step into the showroom. Rebates are merely a way of convincing customers to buy bland cars they're not interested in. Patrick Wright, author and former Business Week reporter, approached DeLorean with the idea of writing a book based on his experiences at General Motors. DeLorean agreed to dictate his recollections for Wright, who wrote the book. The final product, published in 1979, On a Clear Day You Can See General Motors, sold approximately 1.6 million copies. But disagreements over the content led to a conflict between the collaborators and a libel suit against DeLorean. DeLorean claimed to have never received his share of the revenues. In 1973, DeLorean formed the DeLorean Motor Company, known as the DMC. The car entered into production as the DMC-12, but known simply as the DeLorean. The car's body distinctively used stainless steel and featured gull wing doors and was powered by the Duverin V6 engine developed by Peugeot, Renault, and Volvo. The manufacturing plant to build the new car was built in Dunmurry, Northern Ireland, with substantial financial incentives from the Northern Ireland Development Agency of around 100 million pounds. Renault was contracted to build the factory, which employed over 2,000 workers at its peak production. The engine was made by Renault, while Lotus designed the chassis and bodywork details. The Dunmurry factory would eventually turn out around 9,000 cars over 21 months of operation. Production delays meant the DMC-12 did not reach the consumer market until January of 81, nearly a decade after the company was founded. And in the interim, the new car market had slumped considerably due to the 1980 U.S. economic recession. This was compounded by unexpectedly lukewarm reviews from critics and the public who generally felt the uniqueness of the DMC-12 styling did not compensate for the higher price and lower horsepower relative to other sports coupes on the market. While interest in the DMC-12 quickly dwindled, competing models with lower price tags and more powerful engines like the Chevy Corvette sold in record numbers during 1980-81 in spite of the ongoing recession. By February of 82, more than half of the roughly 7,000 DMC-12s produced remained unsold. In 1999, DeLorean declared personal bankruptcy after fighting over 40 legal cases since the collapse of DeLorean Motor Company. He was forced to sell his 434-acre estate in Bedminster, New Jersey, in 2000. It was purchased by real estate tycoon Donald Trump and converted to a golf course. John DeLorean's legacy lives on through the DeLorean time machine as seen in the movie Back to the Future, as well as in the hearts of all of us who truly love cars. DeLorean had a dream, and he followed it. Huge car companies can afford to survive downturns in the economy and production problems. There are always other models to sell. For this reason, one-man companies are rare in the auto business. DeLorean knew what the risks were, and he took them anyway. When Paul Anka wrote, I did it my way for Frank Sinatra. He might as well have been writing it for John DeLorean. On October 19, 1982, DeLorean was charged with trafficking in cocaine by the U.S. government following a videotaped sting operation in which he was recorded by undercover federal agents agreeing to bankroll a 1.8 million 100 kilogram cocaine smuggling operation in exchange for 24 million of the eventual profits. The government was tipped off to DeLorean by confidential informant James Hoffman, who reported to his FBI superiors that DeLorean had approached him to ask about setting up a cocaine deal. In reality, Hoffman had called DeLorean and suggested the deal, which DeLorean then accepted, as part of his efforts to receive a reduced sentence on a 1981 federal cocaine trafficking charge that he was awaiting trial on. Hoffman, whose name was redacted on the original indictment, also stated that he was aware of DeLorean's financial troubles before he contacted him and had heard him admit that he needed $17 million in a hurry to prevent DMC's imminent insolvency. Taken together, these two elements allowed DeLorean to successfully defend himself at trial with the procedural defense of police entrapment. Despite video and audio evidence clearly showing him negotiating over the particulars of the deal and referring to a suitcase full of cocaine as good as gold, in quotes, his lawyers successfully argued that the FBI and DEA had unfairly targeted and illegally entrapped John DeLorean when they allowed Hoffman, an active FBI informant who only knew DeLorean casually, to randomly elicit DeLorean into a criminal conspiracy simply because he was known to be financially vulnerable. Another factor was DeLorean's lack of criminal history, whereas Hoffman was a career criminal who stood to directly benefit if he was able to convince DeLorean to incriminate himself on tape. The DeLorean defense team did not call any witnesses. DeLorean was found not guilty on August 16, 1984, but by then DMC had already collapsed into bankruptcy and DeLorean's reputation as a businessman was irrevocably tarnished. When asked after his acquittal if he planned to resume his career in the auto industry, DeLorean bitterly quipped, Would you buy a used car from me? In the years before his death, DeLorean planned to resurrect his car company and gave interviews describing a new vehicle called the DMC-2. According to his family, he spent much of his last several years working on this new venture. In an effort to gather funds, he designed and sold high-end watches via the Internet under the name DeLorean Time. Made of what appeared in promotions to be injection-molded stainless steel, the watches sold for $3,495. Purchases were placed on a waiting list for the chance to buy one of the first DMC-2s when they became available. None of the watches seemed to have ever been built or delivered to customers before DeLorean's death. The DeLorean Motor Company name was subsequently owned by a Texas-based firm that provided parts and professional restoration to DeLorean DMC-12 owners. Although John DeLorean was not involved in the business, its vice president, James Epsi, spoke with him on the phone once a month, the last time being two days before his death in March of 2005. According to Espy, in their final conversation, DeLorean expressed his dismay at the then current direction of General Motors, saying they have too many bean counters and not enough engineers. According to his autobiography, both DeLorean and former wife Christina Ferrara became born-again Christians following the entrapment controversy. DeLorean was married four times. His first marriage was to Elizabeth Higgins in 1954, divorced 1969. DeLorean then married Kelly Harmon, the sister of actor Mark Harmon of NCIS fame and daughter of Heisman Trophy winner Tom Harmon and actress Elise Knox in 1969. They divorced in 72. His third marriage was to model Christina Ferrara, with whom he had a daughter, ending in divorce in 1985. He was married to Sally Baldwin until his death in 2005. DeLorean appeared in a widely published magazine advertisement for Cuddy Sark Whiskey in the year prior to his arrest and the collapse of his company. It was captioned, One out of every 100 new businesses succeeds. Here's to those who take the odds. When the Back to the Future film came out in 1985, featuring DeLorean's namesake car, DeLorean wrote a letter to Bob Gale, one of the movie's producers and writers, thanking him for immortalizing the car in the film. The letter can be seen in the special features of the Back to the Future DVD release. We hope you get a chance to see Doc and Marty when they return this October to Hill Valley. Remember to go to audible.com slash 1001heroes to get the free audiobook download and free 30-day trial. You will really enjoy the stories. Here's a book you can try. I'm going to do a show on the incredible... Australian Whaler Horses Soon. That's spelled W-A-L-E-R. The show is titled Bill the Bastard, and it's about one of these legendary horses and its owner. Yes, Bill the Bastard was the name of the horse, not the owner. It was given out of respect for the horse's legendary wartime exploits. That's audible.com slash 1001heroes. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.